Hello, and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. The outbreak of COVID-19 posed great challenges to the global economy and people's daily lives and has had far-reaching consequences beyond the spread of the disease. It has changed the way people perform transactions and engage with people and organizations. At the same time, the pandemic was the foundation for increased creativity and innovation. In the banking industry, we have seen new products developed, new ways of engaging and merged, and traditional services transformed for a new digital era. To discuss the findings of our new Retail Banking Innovation 2020 Digital Banking Report, we are joined by Sanat Rao, Chief Business Officer and Global Head of Infosys Finical, the sponsor of the report. In this episode, we discuss this year's findings and the ramifications for financial institutions in the future. Welcome to Banking Transform, Sanat. First of all, I want to personally thank you for again sponsoring the Innovation Retail Banking Report in conjunction with EFMA. This is not the first time you have sponsored the report, but it definitely represents the most important research we have done together on innovation and digital transformation. As a result of the pandemic, innovation has become more important than ever, becoming a key component of digital transformation in financial services. More than simply the creation of new services, innovation encompasses the important shift from traditional banking to digital banking at a time when many consumers were forced to stay home. In working with financial institutions in a wide variety of ways at Infosys Cynical, what are some of the most dramatic changes that you have seen as a result of COVID-19? Firstly, Jim, thank you for having me on the podcast. It's certainly been our privilege to work with EFMA and yourselves to put out the report every year. And I hope the readers of the report find it as useful as we have found it. We're recording this in September and COVID-19 is still very much engulfed all over the world. And one can't but acknowledge that the kind of challenges that the banking industry has faced in the last six months have never been seen before. I think when you look with the benefit of hindsight at what's happened, some very clear changes, I think, are apparent. First, even though the world was not prepared for COVID-19, it is a reality that in the banking industry, there were some banks that were more prepared for something like this. In their case, it was not just that the traditional banks, because of their size and because of their scale, and because they were not born in the digital era, some of them were obviously challenged in terms of reacting to that. At the same time, you had the newer banks, the challenger banks, the neo banks, if you like, who were more well prepared, who had digital at their core, and who were therefore able to adapt to the new environment much more quickly. I think the other big change, obviously, has been from the customer expectations point of view. And I want to sort of make, I think, two observations here. First, given that COVID-19 has been such a traumatic experience for many people, customers, whether they're individuals or small businesses, I think will remember their experiences during this period. They will very well remember which banks showed empathy and were able to react to offering them the kind of support and services they required, and which banks forgot to do that. So I think from a customer point of view, there'll be certainly many eye-openers here. The second is that I think customers have realized that there's a very different way to carry out their day-to-day banking. Banking as an industry obviously was not geared to be done from home. It was very much a physical infrastructure kind of a, you know industry. And therefore, even the customers were not prepared for the fact that they can indeed carry out their banking transactions in a very different manner. So I think from a customer expectations point of view, 
there's certainly be a change on these two fronts that I just talked about. I think from a banking point of view, clearly some banks have got very much exposed, while others were able to react to it much, much better, even though no one knew that it was going to be a COVID-19 kind of a disruption. The fact that the banks didn't have a business model where I think they you know, didn't have a disaster recovery plan with a digital backup to their physical operations really exposed many of them. Uh, plus the fact that I think in dealing with the kind of changes that happened, banks forgot the fact that customers were going to look at the response from the banks a lot more closely. So it was not just a normal interaction, it was not just a normal experience with the customer. But banks were being really looked at much more closely in terms of the kind of empathy they showed, the kind of responsiveness they showed, whether they really knew their customers. So I think banks got exposed on that side. And some obviously, you know, didn't fare quite as well as the others. I think post-pandemic, when banks relook at their operations, they're going to look at two things. First is that the electronic channels will become even more popular. So banks better get that part of their story right. And the second is that the banking industry which is one of those that has by and large insisted that people operate from physical offices. I think some elements of that business model uh, will get relooked at. But I just want to sort of close this answer with one point, which is that if there's one element which has got really highlighted here, it's the need for empathy. And I think a lot of times banks have talked about the fact that they're into relationships, the fact that they want to look at a customer or a lifetime. I think many of those propositions got exposed here. And hopefully, COVID-19 has been a wake-up call for many banks. And I do believe that while some banks have not been able to react in the right manner, I do believe that the banking industry in general will be the better as a result of the experience of COVID-19. And they'll learn from what the last six months have shown the world. It's interesting. You mentioned empathy. And, and we also talked about the, the new ways to transact and engage for better customer experience. And that all comes into one element. How important do you think innovation, and innovation not in the traditional sense of building brand new products, but innovation as, a, as it relates to engagement, how important is the innovation process in today's banking environment? It's very important. It's a moot point whether the floodgates of innovation have actually opened as a result of COVID-19. My personal opinion is that while there were many banks that were committed to innovation, and many banks have, even pre-COVID, had some wonderful examples of innovation, whether it was innovation that touched the end customer or it was innovation within their own environment towards their operations and processes. Certainly there were examples, but I do believe the floodgates you know, are being opened now. But the real innovation is down the line. Having said that, I think one shouldn't get too excited about the fact that as a result of digital transformation, innovation can be really accelerated. Uh, so I'll give you some examples here. In the UK, for example, the limit for contactless banking uh, was £30 per transaction. And it was raised to £45 at the start of lockdown. Now, I've heard proponents say that that's an example of innovation. And I'd like to take a step back and say, was that really innovation? The fact that 30 was raised to 45 Or was it a step that was necessarily made because no one wanted to touch cash? No one wanted to, you know, people were not able to interact physically and therefore it had to be electronic. And there was no choice but to raise it from 30 to 45. So I think it's easy to sort of pass off many changes as a result of innovation, but I don't think all of them necessarily categorizes that. Having said that, I think 
there have been some amazing examples of innovation. I'll give you two that I recollect reading about. One is from Indonesia and one is from the US. In Indonesia, the government had issued uh, stored value cards to all of their citizens, which they could use for a certain value for upskilling. Now, what happened is that when COVID-19 hit the country, obviously day-to-day interactions, day-to-day activities were severely impacted. People were losing their jobs and so on. And what the government did is that very innovatively, they used these cards, which were already with the individuals. They were used these cards and they were allowed to sort of draw money for their expenses. The government, I think, tied up with OVO, which is part of Grab. And they were able to then repurpose the cards, if you like, for day-to-day expenses. I think this made it very easy for the individuals and the common man in the country to suddenly use a piece of plastic that was given for a very different purpose, but the country was able to adapt it for the immediate requirements in the current circumstances. So that was one example. The other example was what one heard of what Fair Isaac did for credit scoring. I think after COVID-19 hit the world, they came out with a financial resilience score which looked at not just the normal credit scoring parameters, but they also looked at other parameters as a result of the pandemic, so that in the financial resilience score, they were able to make it much more contextual to the present environment from the point of view of lenders. So I think innovation is going to be a reality in the current environment. And if anything, thanks to COVID-19 and the acceleration of digital transformation, we're going to really see a lot more innovation down the line. I'll just end by saying this, which is that given that we live in a world where technology pretty much drives everything, I think the truly innovative organizations are going to be the ones who recognize that the application of innovation is going to be incumbent on newer technologies like AI. It's going to be around you know, very differentiated ways of, let's say, designing products. It's going to be around leveraging of APIs to truly create an ecosystem so that banks can move from just offering banking products to actual business solutions to their end customers. So I do believe that innovation is here to stay. I think we've seen some good examples in recent times, but my own personal belief is that the real innovation is down the line. You mentioned about the difference between innovation and adaptation. Ron Shevlin recently has talked quite a bit on Twitter about the fact that you know, a lot of innovation, especially for small organizations, you don't really have to be an innovator, but you've got to be able to adapt to what is currently going on in the marketplace and find those solutions that are going to meet those needs. You know, it's interesting, while in our study, we found that 75% of organizations said that digital transformation was a top priority, only 20% stated that innovation was a top priority. Why is this such a disconnect when we know they're correlated? I think it's probably because of the fact that banks have different interpretations of what digital transformation itself means. And if you've seen the examples of the journey that banks have embarked upon in digital transformation even before COVID, the truth is that the definition of digital transformation has varied dramatically between institutions. To a lot of institutions, digital transformation was about adding another piece of electronic channel or automating one part of the process. Clearly, I think the examples and, you know, what has been apparent in the last several months is that it goes way beyond that. The other element is that innovation, I think, is seen as something that necessarily needs to touch the outside world to the end customer. But I think there are many examples where innovation has, you know, been seen to be done very effectively even within the organization. And all of that has helped in creating 
a much more effective and efficient way of operation. I think the other point I'd like to make is that in digital transformation, if you see the examples of successful organizations, and here it's probably important to take the larger traditional banks rather than the new age banks. If you look at the you know likes of DBS Bank in Singapore or JP Morgan in the US or a handful of others, these are banks that were successful in their digital transformation journeys, but they were able to do this over a period of time. It didn't happen overnight. And I think it requires a sustained commitment towards making that change. Innovation, I think by definition, people look at it as examples of small instances or you know minor changes that they're making to their operations or their processes or to their customer service. And I think as banks look at an organizational transformation towards becoming much more digital, towards becoming much more technology-centric and customer-centric, I think innovation fitted in well there, but it was a series of innovations that were required to ensure that the entire organization transformed. So I think there was a mismatch in terms of the definition of these two terminologies, as also the perspective of time, which I think led to a differing view. In this year's report, we saw some advancement in both innovation and digital transformation, yet organizations actually lowered their self-assessment on both digital transformation and innovation maturity. In fact, organizations said, the number of organizations said they were leaders dropped from 14% to 9% this year, with even those considering themselves fast followers dropping. Why do you think this drop has occurred even though there's been advancement made? So I think there are probably a few reasons that one can attribute to this. First is that, as the report has shown, it's a very small percentage of banks that have really been able to do this to scale. Banks that have attempted some form of digital transformation, not necessarily did all the initiatives carry to fruition and carry to the kind of end results that the banks were expecting. I think the second element is that as more and more banks embark on digital transformation, clearly the scrutiny of all stakeholders, the kind of care and diligence that was required for the success of these kind of initiatives, that resulted in, I think, a lot more scrutiny. And I think banks took a step back to say, look here, what I'm doing today, is that really digital transformation or is there something different? Because I think as more and more banks embarked on something like this, there was obviously a realization that the original definition of digital transformation as it existed, let's say, three years ago, and the way banks are understanding it today is very, very different. Last but not the least, I think, you know, when digital transformation started, the maturity of technologies that supported digital transformation today is at a considerably higher level than it was in the past. And therefore, I think today, banks who are taking a fresh look at how technologies can drive their digital transformation and indeed take a broader perspective and say digital transformation actually involves an organizational redesign and organizational transformation. I think banks have realized that it's a much, much bigger task. It's a much more complex task than just introducing technology in one part or introducing a new electronic channel. And therefore, I think that reality check has made some of these banks take a pause and sort of relook. I think for want of adequate success, just take a step back and say, look here, we are, we're not entirely prepared for the kind of results that we thought that we might get earlier. Our research showed that while financial services organizations knew what needed to be done, and even know in many cases who to partner with and how they could partner, they hesitate to let go of legacy processes. And you, know, you mentioned the fact that the definition of digital and being a digital bank is transformed into the reality that you can't fake digital. It's not just an app. It's how do you do the behind the scenes thing to make it so it's simple. How do organizations get over the hurdle of letting go of 
all the legacy processes that have been there for decades? The short answer is it's not easy. And I'll point to a few facts. First and foremost, I think, unlike in the past, where digital was seen as an electronics at the front end, and I think today banks are realizing, particularly the more progressive banks, that to be a truly digital organization, you need to be digital front to back, which means that it's no point having modern technology at the front end, but legacy systems at the back end, which are 40, 50 years old. Many of them don't have APIs. They don't talk to other systems. They are operating in silos. And these are obviously making the task very, very difficult. The second point, I think, is that as far as legacy environment is concerned, what did banks do? You know, banks embarked on core banking change. Even core banking change underwent very different journeys. Not every bank has been successful in that. And I dare say that some banks discarded that and focused only on the front end. And indeed, there have been many successes in the last few years of banks that have successfully done something at the front end. But what are you left with today? You're left with a modern, sexy front end, but still legacy infrastructure at the back end. And I think that is what is impeding a lot of the banks in ensuring that there's an end-to-end digital transformation. To my mind, there's no getting away from the fact that banks that want to become truly digital have to confront the issue about dealing with the challenges of legacy systems at the back end. You cannot afford to just keep investing on digital technologies at the front end and say that, look here, I don't need to do anything at the back end. You'll simply not be able to provide that end-to-end perspective for the customer because the bank needs to be digital front to back. So I think there is the challenge of somehow grappling with the legacy issues. Now, I do acknowledge that there's no one-size-fits-all approach. And certainly, with the proliferation of newer technologies, the approaches to legacy modernization itself has undergone a change compared to, let's say, 15 years ago. So banks today are taking more progressive steps. They're taking the advantage of the fact that newer pieces of technology can be deployed in a componentized manner. They're taking advantage of the fact that APIs are available today and can be leveraged in a manner which banks were not doing 10, 15 years ago. So I think there's a realization that all of these are happening. And I dare say that Many banks have realized that the COVID-19 situation actually presents them with an opportunity to confront the issue head-on and deal with how they will modernize their legacy backend systems so that all the investments that they've made on the digital technology of the front can ultimately be demonstrated in an end-to-end, front-to-back perspective. So the organization really looks at it being a digital organization. So I think there's no getting away from the challenges of legacy modernization. It's not easy, but it needs to get done. So when you look at the modernization, you know, that's the technical aspects, it's the back office aspects. You know, what we're seeing overall too is a, is a major impact on culture and legacy leadership. How important do you see when you're working with all the firms around the world that you work with at Infosys Finical? How important is leadership and culture as a support mechanism for both innovation and digital transformation? I'd say it's the most important thing. I think a lot of organizations thought that digital transformation started with technology. I would say take a step back. It actually starts with executive leadership. And why do we say that? It means that when organizations are looking at an organizational transformation, that commitment to the organizational transformation has to come necessarily from the very top. It's not about just adding on another electronic channel. And in the examples of banks that have been acknowledged for their digital transformation, whether it's the DBS banks of the world or JP Morgan's, it was the commitment from the very top towards organizational change, which resulted in some of these changes happening. 
The other element that I'd point to is that the culture in an organization, again, is very much needs to be part of the agenda of the top management. Therefore, the change that's being driven by executive management, the commitment towards a change in culture, the commitment towards ensuring that everyone in the organization, whether you're in the front office or back office, whether you are part of a support function in finance or HR, or whether you're dealing with the end customer, they all need to look at the same end objective. You can't have a association saying that only those who deal with the end customers, they need to be customer focused and departments that don't necessarily deal with end customers, they don't need to worry about that. So I think the starting point towards this kind of a transformation and the commitment to the culture there really starts at the very top. The other point I would like to mention, and this is something that I think has been said a lot in the last few months, is the whole element around purpose. Defining the purpose of the organization, relating the purpose to strategy is something that top management needs to do, right? And therefore, there's no getting away from the fact that having clarity of purpose, having the ability to translate that into action, but most importantly, I think the ability to communicate that to all parts of the organization in a sustained manner is again something that needs to start at the very top. And that's what, you know, enables it thereafter to, you know, for it to sort of galvanize more support within the organization. I'd point to one more thing, which is that the journey for many institutions, and banking is obviously no exception to that, is that we are going to see ups and downs. We are going to see many challenges, and COVID-19 indeed has been one such. The need for top management as part of that cultural transformation, for them to be able to build a degree of resilience within the organization, I think that can't be understated anymore. And clearly, when you look at the way banks have responded in the last six months, it's very apparent that the banks that have been able to respond better are the ones who had far greater you know, resilience, not just in terms of building teams and preparing them for the challenges, but also in terms of prioritizing the right elements, which are key for the leader, having the right pool of experts and talents, enabling decision-making you know, in the right manner, the clarity of communication. So I think all of these are essential ingredients of culture and change that the uh, management has to drive. Last, I'll just say, is that the organization itself, now many organizations, particularly the older banks, were structured in a certain manner when technology was not at the forefront. Today, I think with the proliferation of newer technologies, with the maturity of technologies, and with the active introduction of agile practices, the traditional hierarchical structure is no longer probably the best structure. And therefore, banks and indeed management's are relooking at the kind of structures that existed versus the kind of structure that's required in today's environment and to be able to leverage technology and the other tools that they have at their hands to be able to drive the kind of change that they require. So I'd say it's a combination of many of these elements and the responsibility of this really starts at the very top. Moving down from the very top to within the organization, do you believe there's a talent shortage now within most banking organizations with regard to the new skills that are needed to digitally transform our organization? And if you do, do you think most organizations should be better off partnering with other organizations or other talent and maybe buying the talent? Or is it better to train from within? Is there a shortage of talent? Yes, I think there is. But I think before we talk of shortage, I think it's probably you know relevant to point out something else. When you look at the technologically progressive organizations today, whether it's the new age banks or whether it's the large banks like DBS, JP Morgan, ING and the others, what cuts them apart is that increasingly compared to, let's say, 20, 25 years ago, 
the composition of technology-related skills within the workforce of the bank is dramatically increasing. I read somewhere that in many of these institutions which have been able to leverage technology successfully and become truly digital, I think the average numbers of technology-related skills compared to the total workforce is upwards of 25%. And that's only going to increase as we find AI and other related newer technologies becoming more mainstream. I think that's only going to increase. So I think it's not just a question of shortage of talent. It's also a question of rebalancing with more focus on some of the skills that will be more relevant in future than they have been, let's say, in the last two decades. As far as the skills itself in banks are concerned, sure, I think skills can't be seen in isolation of technology. And whether it's banks who, you know, grow skills from within or they acquire them from outside, I don't believe there's a one-size-fits-all approach. I think there are institutions and there are some very, very good examples of banks that are very, very committed to growing skills within. And if you're going to grow skills within, then there clearly has to be focus on sustained commitment towards training, towards skills development, towards the whole focus on on-demand learning, towards the fact that people need to have sufficient time to be able to focus on building and developing new skills, even as they focus on their normal day-to-day activities. We've seen examples where banks are actively encouraging people to actually go out and acquire new skills. And it's not just in banks. I'm, I'm just going to take a deviation from a banking industry and give a personal example. I've got about 30 decades of experience. And in the last six months, there have been many wake-up calls for many of us. And I'm actually now going back to university, doing a master's in an emerging social science called digital anthropology. So I think this is something that's going to be relevant for every one of us, whether you're a 25-year-old who's just started his career or whether you're in your you know, 50s. Skills development and the need to constantly reinvent yourself is going to be very, very important. And I think banks are going to find different ways. Certainly the ones that have resources available, which have pools of skills, they're certainly going to commit to, I think, trying to build a lot of it in-house. But equally, I think they're going to keep the options open of acquiring some things from outside. But to my mind, the biggest change is going to be that 20 years ago, banks looked at acquiring skills around the banking domain. In the next 20 years, the focus is going to be around banks acquiring technology skills. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if today, if for example, if there are, say, 80% of the workforce focusing on banking domain and let's say 20 on technology, I think very soon you're going to find that proportion being you know, rebalanced. And I dare say in the next 15, 20 years, it's going to completely flip and you're going to have more technology skills and probably fewer banking domain skills. You talk about yourself going back to school, and I'm a firm believer that we're getting into an era of lifetime learning, that it's going to go so fast that you could end up having to change your career multiple times in completely different fields because of the skills needed for different careers. And it's interesting also, as you look towards what the the future, how quickly that's coming about. I mean, the fact that you're going back to school and at one point that was thought to be something when you want to completely change your career. Now you just need to enhance your career, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, Sanat, when we asked financial services executives in our study, what competitors kept them up at night? The vast majority stated that either consumer tech companies like Apple and Google or tech platforms like Amazon or Alibaba did. Even fintech firms, startups kept bankers up at night, so they're not getting much sleep. You're on the inside and outside of the organizations right now. Who do you believe is going to be the biggest threat, either as a category or an individual company? 
probably difficult to call out an individual company. But I think if you look at it in categories, I think a bank which has not become complacent will recognize that the nature of competition has completely changed. And competition is coming in all forms and all manners from all sides. And let me just explain what I mean. Many traditional banks are committing to reorient themselves. So it'll be naive on a part of one bank to say that just because another bank has been around for the last 20, 30, 40 years, that they will not turn out to be competition in the future. And I think we've given examples of many large banks like DBS and JP Morgan and ING and a whole host of others who have reinvented themselves over the last decade or so. And today they are you know, leaders there. And what's to say that in the next five, 10 years, there won't be any more such names coming forth. So I think there is certainly new competition coming from within the banking industry. And then you've got the opportunity of creating banks from scratch. And today, you know, we've got a lot of challenger banks who've been set up not too long ago and who come and create propositions. They are born on the cloud. They are digital. They don't have the complexity and they don't have the legacy infrastructure that we talked about a little earlier. And I think that population of neo banks and challenger banks is only going to increase. And we've already seen examples in many different parts of the world where there are more and more such sprouting. As far as big tech is concerned, my view is that I don't think they would necessarily want to become banks. However, they're going to find smart and innovative ways to offer banking-like services and embed themselves within the day-to-day activities of end customers. And the only reason why I say that, you know, a Google or Amazon may not become a bank is one fact and one fact alone, which is the huge, huge burden and the financial implications of regulation the moment you become a bank. So I think that those kind of institutions will leverage the massive skills of technology that they have. They will leverage the fact that they know customers much, much better and they have so much of data available that they can you know, do the kind of insights that many other banks are not able to do. And they will partner and they'll have other innovative ways to offer banking-like products without necessarily becoming a bank. Now, even if they don't become a bank and they offer you know, savings and checking accounts or some form of loans through a partnership, they're still eating into the bank's traditional customer base. To that extent, they still remain competition. You know, I'd say a bank that is not complacent today would be wary and will probably acknowledge the fact that competition is coming from all sides and they need to be wary of all of these categories rather than saying it's going to be only from one or the other. That's a great insight and a great way to end the show. It, it's interesting because... Competition is going to come from everywhere. You can't spend a whole lot of time looking at competition as opposed to actually doing the things that you need as an organization. And I think, you know, we've talked about the fact that, you know, when you're really talking about either innovation or digital transformation, it's really about understanding how digital works and as opposed to doing the check marks off the checkbox to really transform the organization from within as a digital organization. And I just want to thank you, Sanat, for your time, but more importantly, for the ongoing sponsorship of the Innovation and Retail Banking Report by Infosys Finical. I believe it's the 12th year we've been involved with you for four years, and it, it's been a pleasure. It's, it's a great study to do, and this year, more than ever, because of all the change that we've seen. So thank you again. Thank you very much, Jim. Entirely my pleasure. And our commitment to working with you and EFMA, hopefully to be able to support this kind of research in the coming years very important to us and hopefully it is meaningful for readers of the report as well so thank you very much for the opportunity what an interesting interview with Sanat Waru from Infosys Finical it's interesting because 
it gave a real depth to what we found in our innovation report that they sponsored. And even more so, it really keeps on bringing home the point that there's an extraordinarily strong correlation between innovation and digital transformation. I think the major takeaway here, and we haven't talked about this on any show recently, is we really have to rethink what the definition of innovation and digital transformation is. I think on one hand, we probably have to lighten up on how deep innovation has to be. It sometimes only has to be the ability to adapt to new environments, new situations with the consumer. On the other hand, digital transformation has to be rethought on a broader scale. We can't just put in new apps. We really have to get completely new processes and systems in the background to be able to deliver a digital experience. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, raised the top five banking podcast on Apple. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe to Banking Transform on your favorite podcast app. In addition, please take less than a minute to provide a review. It lets us know how we're doing and provides a springboard for bringing more world-class guests to the show. Finally, be sure to catch my articles on the financial brand and look for our new research on financial marketing, innovation, customer experience and the future of work as part of the digital banking report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. Big thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, and our audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, make every day a learning experience. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.